welcome to Game Set Match Up, the podcast where we talk everything partnerships, the good, the bad and the ugly. Welcome to Game Set Match Up, the podcast where we discuss all things partnerships. I'm your host, Greg Watts, and I'm joined by my guest, serial entrepreneur and founder of global fintech, Azure, Philip Bushman. Philip, hello and welcome. Uh, hello, Greg. Thanks for having me. Uh, guten Morgen, wie geht's? Mir geht's wunderbar. Und wie geht's dir? You're always wunderbar. I'm good, danke. <laughs> well, uh, for, our, for our guests, as you can probably tell, Philip's in Germany and I'm in the UK. And as I said to Philip a little while ago, my, my A-level German pretty much stops there. So we'll, we'll switch back to English. But well, Philip, thank you so much for joining us. And maybe you, we could start by giving our, our listeners a little introduction to you. Can I ask, you know, who are you? I mean, I obviously know who you are, but perhaps you can tell our listeners uh, who you are and tell us about about yourself and, and your background and, and your business. Yeah, that'd be a pleasure. So yeah, I, I'm Philip. I was born in Austria and um, I had my first computer when I was six or seven years old, learned to program and was really quite good at it when I was a teenager. And uh, I thought always wanted to have a company. And in Austria, it's quite difficult and it, it was even more difficult to be a founder of any kind. So as soon as it was possible, meaning after high school, I went to the States to study there and uh, I, you know, wanted to get away from computers a little bit. And so I studied something, uh, not computer science, but that's how I got my first job. In 1998, if you knew how to program, you just raised your hand in Boston and you had every job offer you could get. And so I started at a small company called Razorfish. It was about 100 employees there. And that company scaled from 98 to 2001 from 100 to 5,000 people. Huh. So I was very, very, very lucky to see all of it. And, and in this scaling, I, I decided that I didn't want to be a developer anymore. I actually like dealing with people and I became a project manager. And that's how I got away from programming and into the business world. Hmm. Yeah. And then 2001, you know, when the dot com basically blew up all of the IT world, it was time to think about what to do. And uh, my girlfriend at the time said, well, why don't you do an MBA? And I said, well, that sounds good. Uh, why don't you do it in London? Because that's where I want to live one day. And so I said, that sounds even better. And I moved to London, uh, did my uh, MBA at the London Business School and became after that an IT strategy consultant for the financial services industry, which is how I basically morphed from developer to project manager to strategy consultant. But one thing that you don't like to do as a strategy consultant or what I didn't enjoy was I was getting really good at building decks, but I didn't have operational responsibility. Hmm. And uh, the first uh, chance I had, somebody suggested, why don't you write a business plan for an oil company? I know somebody who wants to invest there. A friend of mine from business schools hooked me up. I went to my partner at Booz Allen at the time and I said, listen, I have this opportunity to write this business plan for an oil company. Can I have a sabbatical? And my partner said, listen, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. I'm going to give you a year sabbatical. And if you don't take this opportunity, I'm going to fire you. Yeah, well, <laughs> I was very unsure what I would be able to bring to you know, financial services IT to the oil world. So I went to Dallas, met people hired a team, invested in some projects. We drilled an oil well with a bigger company together, found oil, got huge oil checks, were profitable, uh, did a reverse merger and went public. 
all in a year. And I thought this is uh, awesome. <laughs> and this was my first entrepreneurial experience. And I thought it's very repeatable, but it, it wasn't. But so, you know, the first company picked success. The second company, the oil price went down from 150 to 30. We had to divest everything. But from that moment on, I was an entrepreneur. And my insight was like, I should go back to being an entrepreneur in a field where I understand something about something in that field. And I do understand uh, financial services and I understand IT and financial services. And that's one of the, the reasons for founding Azure and what we do today. I didn't, you know, we've known each other for a little while now. I didn't know that you, um, that you, uh, you found a new oil well. That's quite remarkable. So how did you make the transition from petroleum to financial services? So my first job at Razorfish was building a trading system for State Street Bank. My first project at Booz Allen Hamilton was to design the online banking for uh, Sparkasse Bank in Germany. I then worked for Barclays, Department for Work and Pensions, and the pensions part, financial services part. So I guess I've always been in financial services before I made my switch to energy. And what the thing was in energy is what I realized there is it's all about timing, right? The reason I think that we were so successful at the beginning is because the oil price went from 40 to 100. Okay. And when that happens in such a short time, the amount of money that flows into that industry is humongous. And with a little bit of luck, you can have success. When I started my second oil company, the oil price went from 150 down to 35. And even though the company was better in every which way, from the management team to the projects, to the financing, to everything, what I learned was, look, if, if the trend is there, a lot of people can look quite smart. And when the trend is against you, even some very smart people look quite dumb. Yeah. And that's why I came back. I didn't want that again. I didn't, there was not, I felt, of course, I could always have done things faster, better. But I didn't want to be in an industry that was so ruled by a number that I have absolutely no influence over. Mm. And uh, so that's how I made the transition. I knew about financial services IT. I tried something else. I had some success there. I got, you know, I basically was able to build my first companies. And that's what I loved doing. And, you know, building the teams, building the success, building the relationships, selling projects gaining clients, building partnerships, which is why I think your platform is, is so amazing, Greg. And yeah, so I just said, okay, well, if I'm going to be in a field, I have to be in a field that I understand to some degree that isn't ruled by just one number. I've got a question for you then. So over your time founding and exiting multiple businesses, because you really are this serial entrepreneur and you've taught me personally a great deal, um, which I'm very grateful for. What's been your biggest lesson? Well, I think a lot of people say it's the timing part is really important. Mm. And I think that that goes down to the kind of entrepreneur you are. I think, you know, these superstars, whether it's an Elon Musk or Steve Jobs or Bill Gates or, you know, these very successful founders, they are able to make timing happen to some mm. degree. They're definitely in a trend. But uh, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book about this. If you look at the founders of Sun, Microsystems, Microsoft, and Apple, they were all born in the same area around the same year. So there is a timing component to it where 
you know, you yourself are in a development stage where you can learn and you can bring the right kind of things to the venture and then you can make it happen. So that's for the very, very best. They can actually influence it, even though they have already to be, you know, kind of at the right place. I'd love to count myself into that group, but, you know, clearly those are, you know, the, the A-list superstar actors, you know, that can make a movie happen just by them being in it. And I think for most entrepreneurs, which is still one of the things, one of the hardest jobs, I really tell people, you know, think three times before you become an entrepreneur, because you really have to dedicate yourself to it and you have to really know you want it. But for so for the majority and for what you have to be is you have to be at the right time. And that sometimes means really being ahead of the curve and making a bet about a certain kind of future that you know will happen and kind of then knowing when to engage. And that's very difficult. And that's for most people actually, you know, not an option because they just get started. They want to get some people, they build a team and uh, then it wasn't the right time. Yeah. And then we, we shouldn't, we should be kind to those founders because maybe the idea was right. Maybe they were, there was nothing wrong with what they did. It was just not right for them at that time. Yeah. I mean, entrepreneurship as I'm, as I'm learning is, um, it's the most satisfying thing I've ever done. I, I count myself blessed every single day, but my God, it's hard. <laughs> you, I, think, I think, and I'm sure you'll agree that you have to learn how to ride the highs and the lows in, in equal measure. And um, I mean, it's, it's a link to that, you know, what, for all the budding entrepreneurs listening, because we have a lot, of, a lot of people who want to do what you're doing. What advice would you give to them? And what advice, I guess, would you give to your younger self starting out? Perhaps the do's and don'ts of entrepreneurship. Yeah, okay. I think that if I would, do not underestimate the power of large organizations. And maybe being in the right place within an organization that has the kind of tools and has the kind of culture you like is maybe an easier way to personal success. So before you become an entrepreneur, the question should be, why do I want to become an entrepreneur? Do you want to do it because you think it's like in the movies? Because it's not. It really is not anything like it is in the movies. You do not go to GoDaddy and pick a a URL and then go to a designer and pick some cool colors and to a web guy and then it's going to happen. In fact, that's, you know, that's really the exception than the rule. And of course, if I ask you how many millionaires, do you, how many lot, Greg, how many lottery winners do you know? Oh, none. And how, exactly. And how many lottery winners are there in the world? How many people win the lottery all globally? It's, oh, it's in the hundreds, if not thousands, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. But and then how many entrepreneurs do you know? Oh, a lot more. <laughs> and how many of those are that level rich? Mm, not that many. So compared to lottery winners, what sounds easier? Lottery winner. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, I hadn't thought of it like that. <laughs> so go into it into like try to really solve a problem. That's the lesson out of this. I think that the right entrepreneurs saw not just an opportunity, but they saw a problem. And if that problem can be solved, then you might be onto something. Yeah. But that resonates. Fix a problem. Don't try and create something which doesn't, for which there's not, there's no need for a solution. I think, 
I think a lot of people, a lot of budding entrepreneurs try and overcomplicate things as well, in my experience, rather than just try to solve one thing. I think a lot of people, certainly I've found, they try to overcomplicate what they're doing as well, rather than just being really simple with fixing one one thing. I mean, again, linked to that, you know, having created businesses for most of your career, you know, what are your what are your top tips when it comes to creating successful, scalable businesses? Well, first of all, have a problem that you identify that you can actually identify with personally. I think mm-hmm. that helps because it's a long slog and uh, it's not all fun. You know, it's the glass eating stage in every startup where you 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 know you're just working and you don't know where it's going and other founders maybe that you know are having more success faster and here you are working on a Saturday thinking, well, everyone else is having fun and is getting promoted. Where's my success, you know? So be aware that if you're solving a problem that you want solved, it makes that a lot easier. And in that sense, I think, for example, there's a, I think it's called the pill box. Not hundred percent sure that's the right name, but it's a, it's a tech stars accelerated, uh, company, which basically I think one of the founders had had some experience with the way pharmacies hand out medication. It's always in a box of 50 pills or 20 pills or whatnot, but old people don't know whether they've taken it already or whatever else. So why don't we just take all the medications and we put it in a little bag for Monday morning, Monday lunch, Monday evening. And then so they they can just know first, you know, and that actually saves lives. That saves real lives. And so so when you start a company like that, for example, if you find a problem where you're doing something really good, really necessary, I think that's a that's a tip. Get a team into place, write everything down, have an agreement with your co-founders. It's a long time and people will eventually have differences in their life stages or problems will come up and it might, you know, friendships will be strained heavily. Unfortunately, if you start working with friends, it's always what you you think you'd want. Yep. (laughs) But it's probably, you know, very difficult. At Azure, you know, our CTO is Richard, and I've known Richard since I'm 10 or 11. And I've worked and coded with him when I was in my teenage years. We, you know, we did all kinds of cool stuff together. And he is an amazing human being, very humble a genius. And so now we're working here at Azure together again. And our friendship can take it. It could take that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have had other situations where people I really, really loved as a friend work together and it didn't work eventually because things happen and it's nobody's fault. And then there's the pain and then there's the business and people trusted you. And so so that's a, that's another tip I would give. Solve a real problem that you're involved with. Make sure you have a, a co-founder. I think it's super important to have a co-founder. My co-founder, Martin, is, uh, is super, super smart and super dedicated and uh, really an amazing uh, counter to my opinion. But, you know, we, we wrote everything down. What happens if this happens and what happens if this happens? And so we have a basis for the relationship that we are as co-founders. And so that's the that's the second tip I'd have. And then three is move fast. Yeah. Momentum is is so hard to you have momentum at the beginning because it's cool and you're getting in there and you want to solve all these problems. And yeah, and then all of a sudden things happen and you know the world will slow you down. 
And uh, the faster you can move, the better. You touched on something there, which is very close to my heart, teamwork. How do you go about building you know, a highly functioning team as you're growing? What would your advice be for entrepreneurs to create the best team around them? It's a very good question. I would put it this way. If you're going to try to hire people that are just like you, which yeah. is typically people who we are immediately attracted to, yep. you will at first see everything you like about them. And then it's almost like, you know, I, the way I look at, at people, it's like I, I look at people as light, right? And they're this beautiful, loving energy. And every individual is like this. And then you go through life, right? And you get hurt here or you get disappointed there or you break your leg, whatever it is, right? And you, you start becoming a bit more careful. If you watch a kid, they don't have any fear. You look at a 12-year-old, there's quite different already. Now look at a 30-year-old, a 60-year-old, there's a lot more places where we have built walls, right? So when you meet somebody who has got the walls in the same places you have, you see the shining light through it. So, and we are attracted to this. So we want to meet people that are a lot like us because we want to see that light. We love that light. We love ourselves. We love the other person. It's a reflection, right? But by default, these people have, you know, the same walls in the same places that I have. Yeah. And so that means they can't see, they don't have, they have the same blind spots. And sooner or later, you're going to look at those walls and you're like, oh my God, it's so unnecessary. Of course, it's true of me too, right? But that's not why you want somebody in a team. You want somebody in a team where you can see some of that light, but you know that they have pain in different areas or they have skills in different areas. It doesn't have to be about walls. So that they can see things you can't and they can do things you can't. So that means that when you're selecting a co-founder, if you're going to try to find somebody who's just like yourself that doesn't have, you know, then it starts off really, really sweet. But it's just like a love affair that after, you know, a year or two, you're like, oh, my God, I can't stand this person anymore. It yep. can happen. Right. And it's it's not their fault. It's not their fault. It's it's your own fault mm -hmm. uh, because it, either you have to overcome that or you have to create the roles. That's, that's OK. So that's the second thing. I think, you know, at first, it, Azur, Martin and I did a lot of things together all the time. And I built a lot of trust at the beginning because, I, you know, that, that's. You know, I haven't, I didn't know Martin that long before. So I did know him from, from a project, uh, from a company before that. But, um, then, you know, like, what's your role when you grow and all of a sudden you have all this work to do? Who does what? Mm. It turns out that I get to do all the fun stuff, right? I get to do the selling, fundraising, client acquisition, go to the conferences, meet people, hiring. Martin has unfortunately gets to do, uh, customer satisfaction. And pulling through people through the, through our organization to make them happy. That's much harder. And, you know, and, and he also gets to do all the paperwork and the, and the financials and all of those things. And we got lucky because on the way we've met, you know, other than Richard, we also found Laura. Laura is, was an intern when she started, but she's just very amazing and learned everything so fast. And is a, is a superstar at our company. And we really love what she does, but. You know, this is kind of the team was forming itself and you just have to take care that the culture is right. And I don't think you need to have this, what are our values? And then write down 12 values discussion. No. I think, you know, write down one value at the beginning. It's hard enough, whatever that is. And then build a second value once you have five people and the third value when you're 20, maybe that way. I could almost 
I'm kind of doing people can't see us because we haven't got our cameras on, but I'm doing a high five with you saying that. <laughs> you don't you don't need a list of 20 values. Just create a business which has very simple values and a very simple culture based on trust and achieving together. And what you're saying really resonates, which is surround yourself by people who don't necessarily look or think like you, because actually the more diverse teams that you can build, the more diversity you have around you with differing thoughts and differing opinions has to make for better business because you're always going to be challenged with your conventional way of thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, I've got, we could talk for a lot about cultural diversity and unconscious bias, but I'm I'm conscious of your time. So I've got one last question, if I may, just to round us off. So we've, I'm trying to stop talking about the pandemic because we all want to stop talking about the pandemic. But looking at the last 18 months, what things have you seen change when it comes to creating and scaling businesses? And what do you see the future holding for entrepreneurship? So I think to answer that question, I, I need to explain what Azure does, which is which I haven't done yet. So Azure is in the fintech space, right? And we are a what you'd call a banking as a service integrator. But what I mean by that is that, you know, it used to be that the banks had, you know, a bank account and they had cards and they had all of these products like loans and insurances. And they had a person that would sell you the bank manager or person there would help you navigate you through this life. And what's happened in the fintech space over the last 10 years is that different companies have innovated on each part of this many different products. So they've built a better insurance, they've built a better bank account, they've built a better card, they have built, you know, some CO2 compensation. There's all kinds of financial products that are out there that are in parts better than what the bank used to offer you is in the aggregate. And those things are now called banking as a service or insurance as a service suppliers. But none of them or most of them only deliver APIs, services in the cloud that people don't touch. So what Azure is known for is to build smart banking blocks, front end as a service, the actual components that people interact with in a smart, reliable, secure, and future-proof way. And that's what we're known for. So we are known for as a complementary product, something that you need if you're going to work, you know, with a Rails Bank or a Contis or a Trezor or a Solaris Bank. And so the pandemic for us was a very interesting experience because to some extent it accelerated this uh, trend to become more digital in our society and to build new banking services and to build new fintech services and investment platforms. A lot of people were sitting at home for the first six months thinking, well, what's next? Mm. Uh, So the first six months of the pandemic were very quiet, almost scarily so. And then all of a sudden there was this rush of new ideas of different challenger banks or new offerings uh, that was brought to market. And since our partners that like the ones I mentioned before produce mostly the backend components and we are partners to build the front end components, all of a sudden the pandemic became very accelerated us. You know, uh, we became, you know, we had more business the second half of the pandemic. I don't know where we are in the whole thing now, but, and we saw, you know, our first customer then second and third. Now we close about a customer a month. So it's, it's been good to us. 
And what we had to learn was how to speak to people online and how to sell online, because usually you don't buy a complex financial product without knowing the people. And so that's, was, that was some learning in how you do that efficiently and how you build partnerships. Because one thing I recently learned, maybe this summer, was that partnerships are essential to the creation of business. So you can try to, you can try focus on selling, you know, organic sales or, you know, lead generation sales or whatever else. But that's one sale at a time. Well, if you create partnerships within your industry where you are a complementary part, then, you know, one of those relationships are 12 opportunities or 20 opportunities. And so I've actually just now had this since about six months ago, shifted a lot of my effort into building partnerships. So the pandemic has focused our business. It has created traction and it has taught me what's important in the sales cycle. And with that, this is how I, I came across you, Greg, and, and, and your wonderful company and product. And so it was it's a lot of learning. The first six months were terrible, but now we are really, really, really busy. Well, you're doing, you're doing some amazing things. And as, as you know, we couldn't be bigger fans. And as you also know, we couldn't be more passionate about the power of partnerships. But, but well, look, maybe you could come back in, in a few months' time and, and let us know how you're getting on. But, but thank you so much. It's been absolutely, absolutely wonderful. And um, have, have a wonderful weekend. Well, thank you so much for having me, Greg. It, it's a pleasure. And I'd love to come back in a few months that you know how it's going. Oh, we will be stalking you to make sure that you do. Take care. I'll speak to you soon. Thanks for joining this week's Game Set Matchup. Tune in to hear more about the need to knows and the do's and don'ts when it comes to creating successful business partnerships.